United States Constitution, Article 1, Section 9. No money shall be drawn from the Treasury, but in consequence of appropriations made by law. Any regular statement and account of the receipts and expenditures of all public money shall be published from time to time. That's coming up on The Deep Cut. The long, stormy marriage of the Federal Reserve and Congress has plagued the United States for over 100 years. Since 1913, thanks to President Woodrow Wilson, a central banking system was set up. Concocted just a few days shy of Christmas in secret by bankers, an institution of transparency was never the intention. A board of governors was created to direct 12 Federal Reserve banks. Within its scope were all national banks. Non-national banks can join at their own discretion. Contention has built over the years around the Federal Reserve's independence. While the Board of Governors are appointed by the President and confirmed by the Senate, the members are given great deference and leeway in making decisions. Members are appointed for a term of 14 years, and they cannot be removed for policy views. The chair serves a four-year term. He or she can be reappointed to this post every four years until their 14-year term as a member expires. Given that they remain insular from voting, serve longer terms than our public officials, and are not held accountable for their policy views, their independence appears to violate the constitutional construct, as well as our yearning for democratic processes. Former Federal Reserve Chairman Greenspan is quoted as saying, in regards to the proper relationship between Federal Reserve Chairman and the President, quote, First of all, the Federal Reserve is an independent agency, and that means, basically, that there is no other agency of government which can overrule actions that we take. So long as that is in place, what the relationships are don't frankly matter. This speculation of the Federal Reserve as a quasi-autonomous, independent governing agency that is free from congressional oversight is the fear behind the push to audit the Fed. Already holding the institution as deceptive, even unconstitutional, their decisions and actions are left suspect. The Constitution was explicit in establishing the rules of money. Congress makes it and states cannot. That's in Article 1, Section 8 and 10. The Tenth Amendment protects the federal government from encroachment on the few and limited powers it has granted in the Constitution. Since 1947, more than 50 bills have slid through either the House or Senate to try and audit the Fed. However, these pleas for transparency have been almost entirely ignored. This is due to a ban placed on the Government Accountability Office. While the GAO is known as the friend of the taxpayer, they are not allowed to review the most suspicious actions of the Fed. Critics of an audit point out that the Federal Reserve already undergoes several audits. These serve as mere smoke and mirrors. As a result of an audit bill in 1978, Congress compromised and gave the GAO only limited audit authority. It conveniently left out the good stuff. Monetary policy decisions and transactions with foreign banks were made untouchable in their audits. Lifting this ban on the GAO and allowing these two exculpted categories to be investigated is the basis for audit bills ever since. The only headway made on an audit bill was in 1978 thanks to Representative Patman. The journey was long and tedious as he submitted 16 bills during his tenure, eight alone in just 1975. He joined with fellow Fed critics and got the compromised audit. The lesson learned is this, when asked for an audit, the Federal Reserve shivers and congressmen lose their spine. Before becoming the Secretary of the Treasury, Janet Yellen was chair of the Federal Reserve. And even then, she was no more inclined to consent to an audit. She has already suggested it is just a means to, quote, politicize monetary policy, and she will, quote, strongly oppose it. 
While politicizing is something most prefer not to traffic in, the essential nature of our monetary system was crafted by our founding fathers. They left it squarely with Congress and no one else. They feared letting banks run the monetary supply. Thomas Jefferson once said, quote, I believe that banking institutions are more dangerous to our liberties than standing armies. Yellen is doing a good job at enabling this sentiment. She has said, quote, I do think central bank independence is very important to make sure we can make the decisions we think are best. This elitist know best is counterintuitive to the American way. Furthermore, this is the institution that was blamed as causing the Great Recession of 2008, ignoring some prime scams and faulty derivatives until it was way too late. This institution is also responsible for quantitative easing, the printing of money to solve our economic woes. Yellen's great defense of this measure was paradoxical at best, stating, quote, the problem with quantitative easing is it works in practice, but it doesn't work in theory. Even the creator of the Federal Reserve, Woodrow Wilson, regretted what he had done. A few years after it was established, he said, quote, I am a most unhappy man. I have unwittingly ruined my country. A great industrial nation is controlled by its system of credit. Our system of credit is concentrated. The growth of the nation, therefore, and all our activities are in the hands of a few men. We have come to be one of the worst ruled, one of the most completely controlled and dominated governments in the civilized world. No longer a government by free opinion, no longer a government by conviction and the vote of the majority, but a government by the opinion and duress of a small group of dominant men. More than 50 bills later, the Congress is no closer to having a true audit. The typical process of drafting a bill and hashing out the disagreement has fallen on deaf ears. Instead, a more compelling reason to audit the Fed must exist. A reason that ignites irritation amongst the elite and the anti-auditors, as well as something that brings the American people on board, must comprise the next audit bill. The nitty-gritty details of the Federal Reserve, its financial mischievousness, and the constitutional basis of auditing are not palatable on the evening news or in headlines, but a strategy that puts the American people in a win-win situation with the potential to keep more of their own money is quite enticing. My recommendation to solve this audit the Fed problem is quite simple. This win-win situation exploits the principle of reciprocity that should exist between a government and its people. As a result, the Internal Revenue Service must suspend all audits. The refunds submitted are the refunds dispersed. The taxes remitted by businesses are the taxes they accept. All deductions and exemptions the taxpayer claims are permitted. Essentially, whatever the taxpayer says, the IRS will believe is correct and proper. No person, business, or organization will be second-guessed, checked for accuracy, or doubted for truthfulness. Audits on the taxpayer will resume when the Federal Reserve undergoes a complete and thorough audit of all areas, no exceptions and no bans. If Congress wants to protect the Federal Reserve, believing their decisions and actions to be true in all ways and all places, then the American people deserve the same protection.